Well, good evening. It's nice to be here. And we'll look to the Lord again tonight for his help and his blessing as we consider together some things from his precious word. Can I say first tonight how good it is to be here to the new fellowship again with the Saints at Aberdeen and especially with the assembly here at Hopeburn. As we look back over the years, and there have been many of them, we have good memories of special times spent in the various homes of the Lord's people here at Hopeburn. Memories of happy fellowship together in the things of the Lord. These times will always have a special place in our hearts. I just mentioned that. I'm getting all sentimental in my old age. <laughs> but it's just something I felt that was important to say. And um, we appreciate all that has been done and given to us in the past when we are a lot younger <coughs> than we are tonight. So having said all that, let's turn to the scriptures, to the word of God. And I'd like to turn tonight to the Old Testament and to Second Chronicles. I know, I don't know if I'm clashing with things or coinciding with things or complimenting things. But I understand that um, you're looking at the kings of Judah. Well, it's been laid in my heart to look at two kings of Judah over the weekend in the will of the Lord. And uh, I'd like tonight to turn to Second Chronicles in chapter 14. As the Lord gives help, I would like to consider with you a good chapter. <laughs> a good chapter from the lifetimes and reign of Asa, king of Judah. A good chapter. I thought life is made up of chapters. Your life and my life, made up of chapters. Many chapters. And it's... I thought tonight, what chapter am I in just now? Is it a good chapter? <laughs> or is it a not so good chapter? Life has been full too of not so good chapters. Satan would like us to dwell there, to live there, in the not so good chapters of our life. For he knows that will get us down, depressed, despondent, and dejected. But don't forget we all have good chapters. It's funny when we sit down and we reflect on things over the years, the life we've lived up till now, why is it that we always seem to think of the bad things, the sad things, the not so good things that have occurred in our life and experience? Don't forget, brethren and sisters, there have been a lot of good things in your life. There have been a lot of good things in the lives of others. And we mustn't forget that. And as we think of Asa tonight, just very briefly, I want to look at a good chapter from his life. He was a good man, but he was not without bad chapters either in his life and experience. It's just true to life, isn't it? Proving again, as we've heard down through the years, that the best of men are only men at the best. We're only men at the best, uh, but we can be better perhaps and be at our best if we allow the Spirit of God to work in our lives and do things with these lives that we have tonight. So as the Lord gives help, we want to consider together a good chapter from the lifetimes and reign of Asa, king of Judah. He was one of eight good kings, as you know, who sat on the throne of Judah after the death of Solomon. The other seven kings, of course, were Jehoshaphat, the next king who was his son, who was the fourth king to sit on the throne uh, of Judah after the death of Solomon. And then Joash, who was the seventh king, Amaziah, the eighth king, Uzziah, we remember the ninth king, Jotham, the tenth, Hezekiah, the twelfth, and then Josiah, who was the fifteenth king. All these are good kings of Judah that sat on the throne of Judah after the death of Solomon. Asa was the son of Abijah. And I understand you've just completed a little study there on both Rehoboam and Abijah. Well, here is a good son of Abijah. Asa, the son of Abijah, the grandson of Rehoboam, he was the great-grandson of Solomon. He began his reign in the 20th year of Jeroboam, and he reigned for 41 years. His name means physician, or he who heals. 
Sad to say, but this one who brought so much help and healing to others in the day of his own failure was not prepared to be helped or healed himself by God. You will read in chapter 16, the last chapter of his life is recorded in the word of God that he was prepared rather to turn to the physicians than to turn to God. These physicians, I understand, are reckoned to be some kind of spiritistic um, healers. And when you look at chapter 14 and 15 of Esau's life and his experiences, he moved before God and the wonderful things that he did and accomplished in his day and generation, to think in those closing moments of his life, when he himself was diseased, he turned rather than turn to God, he turned. He turned to these spiritistic leaders. His grandmother was called Micaiah. Her name means who is like Jehovah. And as we look at her life and her um, circumstances, sad to say she bore no resemblance to Jehovah. She, in other words, professed one thing and practiced it another. She was not an influence in the kingdom at all for good. But overall, Asa's reign was marked with piety and peace and prosperity. It was marked with righteousness and rest and reform. The record of his reign in Second Chronicles is spread over three chapters. Chapter 14 that we're going to read and think about in a minute. Um, chapter 14, chapter 15 and chapter 16. And so it divides up for us his life in three unique ways. What you think about that just briefly for a moment. Chapter 14... We've got the morning of his life. And we've all had a morning in our life, Christian life and experience, when we started off in the Christian road. The morning of his experience. Chapter 15 is the afternoon of his experience. And then chapter 16, to summarise his whole record, we have the evening of his experience. In the morning, chapter 14, we see his confidence in God. What chapter? We're going to think about tonight the good chapter out of the life and experience and the reign of Asa, king of Judah. His confidence in God. Chapter 15 in the afternoon of his life, we see his covenant that he made with God. And then in chapter 16 in the evening of his life, sad to account, but we have a record of his carelessness, if you like, before God. Now I suppose, brethren and sisters, as we turn to the Old Testament, we should always keep before us a timely reminder of the Apostle Paul. You remember in Romans 15 that whatsoever things were written aforetime, they were written for our learning. They were written for our instruction. That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures, that we through endurance and encouragement drawn from the scriptures, we might have hope, we might stand fast. And so as we turn to the Old Testament again tonight, I trust that we take with us this timely reminder of the Apostle Paul. Let's read together now the 15 verses of chapter 14. As we read down these verses, I want to divide the chapter into four little sections and think about them as we go down the verses. Verses 1 to 5. I want you to think about his courage for God. And then verses 6 to 8, his commitment to God. And then verses 9 to 11, his confidence in God. And then finally verses 12 to 15, his conquest through God. You see, his whole life was centred in God. And in these verses, we'll see these four things as we read uh, down the verses together. Second Chronicles 14 and verse 1. So Abijah slept with his fathers and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa his son reigned in his stead. In his days the land was quiet, it was at rest, it was at peace for ten years. Asa did that which was right. Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. That's quite a statement. It does not say that Asa did that which was good and right in his own eyes. Nor does it say Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of others. He did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Brethren, where are we, sisters? What we do, how we live. Is it for ourselves? Or is it for others? 
Asa did that which was right and good in the eyes of the Lord. And it says this, his God. Is God your God? He had very little encouragement, if any encouragement, from a generation before him. But that generation is gone. It's past. Abijah is dead. And represents for us, perhaps tonight, in a sense, the passing of a previous generation. Asa represents another generation, a present generation. You are a present generation. No matter how old we are tonight, we are the present generation. There has been a generation before us. But that generation is gone. It's no longer here. Whether that that generation was an influence for good or for evil, it's gone. You are in your generation. And of course, as we think of Asa... Uh, we think of his generation. And so we read in verse 3, think of the courage for God, verses 1 to 5. He took away the altars of the strange gods, the high places, break down the images, cut down the groves, commanded Judah to seek the Lord God of his fathers and to do the law and the commandment. Also, he took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the images and the kingdom was quiet before him. He's just come to the throne. He's just sat on the throne. And think of the conditions that prevailed. Highlighted alone in these verses that were read together. Everything was against him. A young man. Everything was against him. And he had the pressure and influence of a generation that has gone now in, in his father. And yet conditions still prevailed and carried on and carried over into his day and his generation. Isn't it amazing? But as he immediately came to the throne, he sat down. And he got things right. Not between himself and others. Others were not in the picture. He got himself sorted out privately and personally between himself and God. And he realised that things weren't right. It's an amazing thing to do. We can only do that if we bring God's word to bear upon our lives. And upon conditions that prevail at any time among the saints of God. We can only do that if we allow the word of God to prevail upon our circumstances. And look at the things that he did. What courage. Comes to the throne, sits on the throne and immediately out he goes. To do what was right and good in the eyes of the Lord. It would have must have caused hurt. It must have caused offence. It wouldn't have taken long for Asa. To have created enemies around him, perhaps within his own palace. And yet, having spent that time personally and privately alone with God, he realised that things weren't the way that they should be. And he was there to do what was good and right in his eyes, and not his own eyes, nor in the eyes of others. That is quite an, an ambition, brothers and sisters. It's not an easy one, but it's a right one. Because it's before the Lord one day we all shall stand. It's before the Lord one day we shall all give an account. Each one shall give an account of himself to God. And we can't escape with the banner of ignorance. God has given us his word. We have a responsibility to take that word that has been given to us on board. To read it, to know it, to understand it, and more importantly, to do it. And that's exactly what Asa did. He got to know it through reading it. He got to understand it and appreciate it. And after he did it, he realised now he would have to go and do it. And that's what the Lord expects us to do. That's what the Lord expects us to do. Because once this little life is gone and passed, we go into his presence and we stand before him alone we stand there and he's going to bring our whole life into account and he's going to review things and perhaps help us to see things as he saw them about our lives Help us to see things as he saw them about our lives. Each one shall be brought into account and each one shall give an account. 
and then we shall receive according to what we have done. Second Corinthians 5. Whether it be good or bad. Whether it be good or bad. So Asa, anyway, he steps out, verses 1 to 5, his courage for God. Verses 6 now to 8, we have got his, cover, uh, sorry, we've got his, uh, his um, commitment to God. He built fenced cities in Judah, for the land had rest and had no war in those years, because the Lord had given him rest. Therefore he said to Judah, let us build these cities and make about them walls and towers, gates and bars, while the land is yet before us. Because we have sought the Lord their God, we have sought him, and he hath given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Asa had an army of men that bare targets and spears out of Judah, 300,000. And out of Benjamin that bare shields and drew bows, 204,000, 280,000. In total, 580,000. And it said about them, all these were mighty men of valor. They were brave, fighting men. 580,000 of them. And all this he did in a time where things were at peace and where the nation, as far as Judah was concerned, was prospering. The land had quiet. The Lord had given him that. And this is what he did. Verse 9, There came out against him Zerah the Ethiopian, with a host of a thousand thousand. A million. I've only got 580,000. Here is a host at the doorstep and there are a million of them. I notice another translation says a thousand upon thousands. More than a million. There they were at his gate. And there came out against him Zedah the Ethiopian with a host of thousands of thousands and three hundred chariots and came to Manisha and Asa went out against him and they set the battle in array in the valley of Zephathah at Manisha and Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said Lord it is nothing with thee to help whether with many or with them that have no power help us O Lord our God for we rely on thee we rest on thee and in thy name we go out against this multitude O Lord thou art our God let not man prevail against thee so the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah and the Ethiopians fled and Asa and the people that were with him pursued them untogether and the Ethiopians were overthrown that they could not recover themselves for they were destroyed before the Lord and before the host and they carried away very much spoil and they smote all the cities round about Gera for the fear of the Lord came upon them and they spoiled all the cities, for there were exceeding much spoil in them. They smote also the tents of cattle, the camps of the herdsmen. And they carried away sheep and camels in abundance. I trust tonight the Lord will add his blessing and give us help as we consider these verses of scripture together. I want to divide the chapter again into another group of sections six sections first of all I want to think tonight about his responsibility that's verse 1 and then I would like to think together about verses 2 to 5 his piety and then verses 6 to 8 his opportunity verses 9 and 10 his adversity and then verse 11 his dependency and then finally when we come to verses 12 to 15 I want to think tonight as the Lord gives help about his victory his victory his piety his ingenuity might be a better word than his opportunity he was clever his ingenuity um, verses 6 to 8 his adversity his dependency ultimately brought about his his victory let's think first of all tonight verse 1 about his responsibility have already suggested and hinted in verse 1 we see the passing of one generation and the coming to the fore of another generation. Abijah died he slept with his fathers. They buried him in the city of David and then immediately we read the statement and Asa his son reigned in his stead. The passing of one generation the coming to the fore of another generation. With the passing of one generation 
We have the role and responsibility, have we not, of the next generation. I suppose no matter who we are tonight and how old we are tonight, we are a next generation. There have been a generation here before us. No matter how old we are, we are the next generation of a generation that's no longer here. But I'm looking down at some that are younger. And you're looking around and you see those who are of an older generation. And you are the next generation, should the Lord not come. You're the next generation. The generation that you look at and you see all around you tonight, a wee bit older than yourself, will one day no be here. You're the next generation. The passing of one generation... But then the Lord expects the next generation to come to the fore. Are we ready for that responsibility? The role and responsibility of the next generation. God expects, I believe, God expects the next generation to take up the range of responsibility. God expects it. I know others might expect it. And it's out of genuine reason that they would want that. That the thing... Uh, that would be uppermost in their heart and mind is the maintenance and continuance of the testimony of God. But more than any man, God himself wants the next generation to be ready to take up the reins of responsibility. And we can never be too early to start our training. It's a training that goes on for almost the rest of your life. But you've got to start. And it starts with a commitment. It's seeing things as God sees them. It's appreciating things as God wants us to appreciate them. And to value things that God values. And so as a generation, we see that as Asa did. No matter what has happened before, it's looking at things in a light that you will have in your generation because it's you that has the responsibility to take on board the teaching, obviously, of the Word of God, and to make it a conviction. And then that conviction, you take up a reign of responsibility. I just leave and underscore this. God expects the next generation to take up the reins of responsibility. Interesting to note that while Abijah had gone, something about him was left. I thought, no, maybe that was picked up. When Abijah was gone, something of him was left. It was a record of his life and works. Look at what is said about Abijah, going back to verse 22. The rest of the acts of Abijah and his ways and his sayings are written. They are written in the story of the commentary of the prophet Edu. Our life and works, brethren and sisters, are not only known to God... But they are recorded by God. No matter what Abijah may have been like as an individual, he was an individual, personally responsible. God put him in that place. And when he was gone, what was left behind was a record of his life. And what they said about that life, the rest of the acts and his ways and his sayings. His acts is what he did. His ways is how he lived. His sayings is what he said. His work, his walk, his words, everything about the man's life was left in record. And that's no less true for every one of us. What you have done today has now been put in record. And it's in heaven. One day we will face it and confront it as we stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ. It's a solemn reminder, isn't it? That each day we live, and each thing that we say, each thing that we do... And whatever work that we're engaged in, that the record of that has now been kept accurately in heaven. It's quite a sobering thought, isn't it? How I live today. How I behave today. What I said today. It's all been recorded. And that is what is uh, recorded here about Abijah. And it is a reminder, isn't it, to our hearts again tonight. His responsibility. He rose to that responsibility. Something obviously happened in his heart at the death of his father. He would have lived through, he would have lived through much of whatever Abijah did. He would have lived through much of what Abijah said. He would have lived through much of how Abijah behaved. And perhaps in himself sensed 
that there was so much there that just wasn't right and wasn't acceptable as far as God was concerned but the record's not there there must have been something in his heart and in his life that made him commit things in a way knowing that he would be the next generation he would have the next um, role to play and responsibility and he must have addicted himself to an understanding and to a knowledge of the law of God and so he did and of course it is not until he comes into focus and into his role and responsibility that we see uh, you know the action that he takes but that was his responsibility that was his responsibility look at verses 2 to 5 and we want to think just very quickly very briefly about his piety in this section I want you to see two things his concern first of all and then his command his concern his concern was to do two things three things number one it was to please the Lord that's where he started concern number one what is our first concern you're the next generation you will have a responsibility very shortly what is your first concern they'll copy what Asa did his first concern was to please the Lord that's where he started that's where he started and that's what we read and I made comment about it Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord is God we must fix things in our hearts on God on the Lord and understand what is it that will please him what is it that will be acceptable to him what is it that I can do that will be good and right before him we will not know that unless we're prepared to take the time and the, 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 the hours to sit down with his word Genesis to Revelation slowly, gradually, prayerfully read the scriptures and see what it is get a sense for the God that we have come to accept and know and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ there are so many things laid out for us clearly, simply and plainly as far as the New Testament is concerned and the epistles are concerned but imbibe the whole scripture, the whole truth of God we have a responsibility to the Lord brethren and sisters we're answerable to the Lord we have a responsibility to the Lord and because of that responsibility the Lord one day will bring us into account so we have no excuse we can't ignore it for we will be brought into account for, ignorant, for, for not knowing it and then not just in the knowing of it but it's in the doing of it that's key and very important as far as uh, our responsibility is concerned but that was concern number one verse two that he would do what was right and good in the eyes of the Lord not his own eyes and not in the eyes of others but the next thing as we think of his concern number two was to purge the land he got things right between himself and the Lord he got an understanding of what was right and once he knew that and he got himself right he started to look around him and to see for what he was responsible and he realised that things weren't right they were far from right for within the land that he was responsible for now all he could see was foreign gods altars, idols high places, images, groves the whole land was stained with it it was corrupted with it but before he goes out to do anything about what's around him he gets himself sorted out first and I think personally that's the key and that's important. If relationships are right between you and God, when you do go out to do whatever is necessary, you take God with you. And nobody can stand against you. Nobody can stand against you if God's in it. But don't go out without him, brother and sister. Don't go out without any personal conviction yourself about the things that you have come to know and understand. Things must be right in our own lives. Things must be adjusted in our own lives. We must be prepared to have things right between ourselves and the Lord. And it's in that that we go out. But we're going out with a different spirit. <laughs> we're going out with a right spirit. And we're going out to do what we know is not only sinful, but is offensive to God. And I think we all have a responsibility in every generation to check, to bring into check the things that are not just sinful but offensive to God we've got to look at what is sinful and offensive in our own lives and we've got to sort that out 
And it brings us into a self-examination of our lives, just to look at ourselves. Do that tonight, would you? Alone. Your husband's not there. Your wife's not there. Just alone, in a room. Go in and look at yourself and see yourself as God sees you. You'll know more about yourself than anybody else. I judge possibly you'll know more about yourself than even your wife or your husband. Those sins of the heart. The thoughts of the heart. Go and look at them. And see what God sees. And then when you do that, put it right. Put it right. Because there's so much that might not be right around you. But you can't be the person that God will use to put it right if you're not right yourself. That's a challenge. It's a big challenge. There's nothing wrong with having that challenge. Because in every generation, God needs you, needs us, wants us to use us. But it's getting personal purity, practical holiness in our lives individually. We get that right. And I emphasize that. There's no point in going on a crusade with anybody else or with anything else if it's not right here, personally. The Lord wouldn't want you to go on a crusade if things weren't right here, personally. And that's not the type of person that God would use to achieve things that would be for his honour and pleasure and for his glory. It's a big challenge, isn't it? Do you want the Lord to use you? A lot can be done and a lot can be achieved in every generation for the Lord. And perhaps the fear that people talk about so much and go on about so much is because things are not right in our lives individually and it just hasn't got the folk right that he wants to use. And that's the challenge. doesn't matter who we are. doesn't matter background. There's enough examples in the Holy Scriptures, Old Testament and New, to see that background doesn't matter with God. It's condition of heart and life before God that matters. That's what's key. To be a success for God, to be used of God in our generation, we must be right with the Lord. Spend hours, brethren and sisters, on your knees. Things that were done and accomplished, I judge, in a generation, maybe two generations before my generation, and maybe from folks not even associated with us as assemblies as we know them, were done by men who spent hours in the presence of God. Do we spend more time at his word than we do in his presence? That's the big challenge. Do I spend more time at his word than I do in his presence? And I think if we start there, brethren and sisters, things will be different. You won't turn the world upside down. These men, probably of a previous generation, for the most part, did not have the knowledge and understanding of scriptures that we have in our generation. But they had the God of the book. Our aspiration is to have more of the book of God. But these men had the God of the book. Didn't say they had no knowledge of the book. But there was just something that seemed to strike them and made them realise it's all about God and not about me. I can have all the knowledge. From Genesis to Revelation, I can quote the verses. But if I don't have the Lord and my life is not right, I'll accomplish nothing if little in my life. And so that's a challenge. Asa brings that challenge, at least to me, his commitment. First of all, um, in his piety, he wanted to please the Lord, he got that right, and then out he goes and he begins now to purge the land takes away the altars, breaks down the images cuts down the groves, he cleanses the land of its idolatry and if you go to First Kings chapter 15 you get another wee insight about his time and reign, he not only rid the land of its idolatry he rid the land of its immorality because there were sodomites in Judah at that time and you will read about them in First Kings chapter 15 this man was on a crusade but he was in the right spirit for it he was a king, what a responsibility. God one day might bring you into responsibility. And there are men that have held down a responsibility for many years. I think of the oversight, especially of any company, of the Lord's people. What a responsibility. And perhaps one day God might want you to aspire to that place of responsibility. 
but be right for it and be ready for it because there are things you will need to address and perhaps need to confront that will not be easy to do. But if things are right with you and you understand what God expects you to be, then you go forward in that confidence and you get to know his presence and you will experience his help. One, he wanted to please the Lord. Two, he wanted to purge the land. But here is the third thing that he wanted to do in these opening verses. He wanted to, did you notice, he wanted to promote the law. You see what he said, we read in verse 4, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord. He never commanded them to get down there to get a copy of the law and to read it and become conversant with it from the first verse to the last verse. That wasn't his first priority when he went out to the nation. When they went out into the land of Judah, we read this, what he commanded from them and expected from them, if you like, was... In verse 4, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, God of their fathers, and then to do the law. It was just what we're emphasising earlier on. We've got to get things right between ourselves and God first. Seek the Lord. Get the relationship right between yourself and the Lord. And then go and look at and study his word. And it wasn't just a case that he commanded them to go and know the law. <laughs> Did you notice that? He commanded them to go and do the law and the commandment. It's one thing knowing. It's another thing doing. <laughs> and of course the Lord expects us not just to know. We need to know. We can't do without knowledge. We need the knowledge to know what to do. And of course here is Asa. His piety. And I just leave that wee section. Um, brethren and sisters with you. We've looked at his responsibility. He rose to that responsibility. He took the reins of responsibility and put things right between himself and the Lord and then out he goes and he's focusing mainly on where he is at the present where he is ruling and where he is reigning that was the centre of his interest that was his place of priority where he was, where he lived where his throne had been established he started at home to get things right at home you get yourself right and then you get conditions right and here are the three things that's worth remembering uh, tonight. Start off, please the Lord, purge what is wrong that is sinful and offensive as far as God is concerned, and then promote the law. He gave commandment to seek the Lord and to do the law. The two things about his piety, his concern and his command, to seek the Lord and to do the law. Now come to the next wee section. His ingenuity. We read in verse 6, he built fenced cities, fortresses in Judah. For the land had rested no war in those days because the Lord had given him rest. Ten years of peace. Be great to have ten years of peace. <laughs> no problem, no disruption, no crisis, nothing, you know, upsetting. Things just going smoothly and nicely. What do you do when you're at peace? What do you do when things are at rest? What did that do? Here I realised, I judge and appreciate that it wouldn't always be like this. You might go through a period where things are at peace and rest, but it'll not always be like that. The enemy will ensure that it'll not always be like that. Satan is an adversary that will ensure, as best as he can make it possible, that there will be disunity and disharmony in any company. But you might enjoy and have, for a period, a time of peace and rest. But Asa, Asa knew that it wouldn't always be like that. And be sensitive and intelligent enough, brethren and sisters, to know that. Don't be naive. People say things are going great and well in the assembly. I almost fear with this statement. Because it'll not always be like that. Satan will ensure it'll not always be like that. And of course, what did Asa do? Verse 6. He built fortresses and he also built forces. Places. And if you like an army. And so we read he built fortresses, fenced cities, strongholds for the people of God and territory that he had gained for God. He realised that what had been uh, produced, if you like, he wanted to preserve. It, it, it belonged to God. He had been given it from God and what had been got he now had to preserve. It's good when we've got that ambition, spiritual ambition and aspiration. To look at where we belong, where we're associated with, and we want to preserve it, we want to keep it. 
We want to see it not just survive in this generation, but in the coming generation of which you will be part. You will be the next generation. Surely you want something to go forward that will be for God's glory and for his honour. And so as we think of his ingenuity at this time of peace, they had no war in the land. The Lord had given them peace. Therefore he said to Judah, let us build. He wanted to bring in the company. He wanted to involve others more than himself. He didn't want all the credit for everything that would be done and achieved and accomplished. He wanted others to be part of the work and to be involved in what was necessary to preserve the thing that had been produced. And so the practical lessons here too is I think of the local assembly and all the activities that might go on in it from week to week and from generation to generation. But he said, let us build these cities. Let us make about them walls and towers and gates and bars. Every, And I noticed this, it was, uh, let us build these cities, plural, not just Jerusalem, but every city that was situated in the land of Judah, and there would have been many, every city, let's build walls. And then every city, let's put a tower, a watchtower, so that nobody will come upon us by surprise and catch us out unaware. We'll set towers in our cities. And on those towers we'll put men that will watch out and look out for us. So that we can see the enemy at a distance. The danger that is going to approach. And we'll be able to prepare ourselves against it. But to do it we'll need to do other things. We'll need to build the walls around the city. And then once we've built the walls well, we'll need to be able to get into the city. And we'll need to be able to get out of the city. We'll have to build gates. But those gates are not only to let people out, but there are gates that are necessary to keep people out and to ensure if we are under attack from any enemy, from any source, we'll need to put bars behind these gates because they will try to crush them and bang them and then intrude and invade and of course destroy. So you'll see in his wisdom, these cities were open, these cities were vulnerable in the land of Judah. And see how gradually, progressively, systematically this young man sets about, gets himself right, gets the city of Jerusalem right, goes further afield and looks around him at all the cities in his kingdom and he says they're vulnerable, they're open and they could easily be overcome and they could easily be destroyed. Let's build the walls. And we could go off at a tangent and we could spiritualise all this and I give credit to the intelligence of the folks here in Aberdeen. You'll see what I'm trying to infer and suggest in the application. The walls that we need to build to protect what's inside the walls. And then also the watchtowers. We need those off an assembly to always be on the alert. To be on the lookout. Paul says to the Ephesian elders, was it, at Miletus? To be on the lookout. From among yourselves men shall arise and will be speaking perverse things. And others will get in among you and they'll not spare the flock. And so Paul, if you like, as far as his instruction to the Ephesian elders were concerned, in Acts chapter 20, he's reminding them to go back and to start building walls and put up towers. And to reinforce whatever there might be, spiritually speaking. So that when the danger arises and the enemy attacks you will be able to be sensitive enough to know and deal with it. And um, Asa has got that in his mind as well. He not only built fortresses, um, look at verse 8, Asa had an army. And of course he built forces, an army of warriors, mighty men of valour, to guard and to defend the places and the people who belonged them. And so Asa, in doing these three things, you see what he was doing. He was building, he was defending, and he was preparing. He was producing things for God, he was preserving things for God, and he was protecting things for God. His ingenuity, clever man. When he got things put right, he then looked at things in a realistic way and saw the possibility of the danger that might come. He knew as I've already inferred and suggested, it wouldn't always, conditions wouldn't always be like this. Wouldn't always be like this. And he was right. For look at verse 9. There came out against him Zerah the Ethiopian with a host of thousands upon thousands with the chariots. They came to Marisha. And of course, what I salute Asa for in verse 10 was this. And this is why if things are right in your heart and life, 
there's a confidence that seems to come in a confidence to be able to act and do things as far as God is concerned he, there were tremendous odds against him thousands upon thousands and 300 chariots that are advancing at such a pace and, uh, and the whole horizon as far as looking out was concerned it was nothing but waves and waves of soldiers and chariots what will I have to do? <laughs> I've only got 580,000 it's an amazing statement in verse 10. Asa went out against them. Asa went out against them. There was a confidence in here that God was for him. And if God was for him, who could be against them? Do we have that confidence, brethren, when we face the unfaceable <coughs> and the difficult? Because things are right and we're right, and we're trying to put things right, there's a confidence, not a confidence that you get as far as the world is concerned. It's a confidence in God. It's a reliance in God. It's a trust in God that whatever I do, and if I face it, no matter how impossible it might be and insurmountable it will be, if I go forward in that knowledge and appreciation, then I'll get help. So you've got his um, piety, and we've looked at his ingenuity, here in verses 9 and 10, his adversity. But then verse 11, the key verse of the chapter, we'll hurry now and we'll finish now. We've got his dependency. Asa cried unto the Lord his God and said, there he is, he's out. Is that Marisha? He went out with his 580,000. He's facing thousands upon thousands of soldiers. And what does he do? What does he do? Asa cried unto the Lord. I think something was highlighted this afternoon at a TV and in contrast to Abijah, I never had noticed it before, but Abijah, it was the people who cried unto the Lord. But you'll notice, unlike Abijah, his father, it's Asa that cries unto the Lord. And because Asa cried unto the Lord, the king, the man with the responsibility for things, he cried unto the Lord. What he said was tremendous. It's nothing with thee. Brethren and sisters, it's a key verse, it's a memory verse. It's a memory verse for us all. To learn Second Chronicles 14 and verse 11 off by heart. It's nothing with thee, whether with many or with them that have no power. Whether the one you help is mighty, or the one that you help, Lord, is powerless. Help us, O Lord our God. For we rely on thee. And in thy name we go out against this multitude, O Lord, thou art God. Let not man prevail against us. No. Let not man prevail against thee. Asa appreciated and valued that what he was and what he had, it belonged to the Lord. The assembly that you're in, it belongs to the Lord. Each member of it, they belong to the Lord. And we have a responsibility to protect it and protect them. We rely on thee. And of course, it was an acknowledgement that it was all the Lord's work. Let not man prevail against thee. And we read in verse 12, Asa's victory, the Lord smote. Not Asa smote. The Lord intervened, he answered his prayer, and we read, as we think of his victory, the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa, and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. The rest of the story reminds us in the victory, that as far as Asa was concerned, what he did at best was confront them, pursue them, overthrow them, destroy them, and he spoiled them. All because the hand of God was in it, and helped them, and blessed them, and used them. Time is gone, we're finished. I trust us we've thought about a good chapter. Chapter 16 is not so a good chapter. But think of the good chapter. And think of all that was done and accomplished in the life and experience of this <coughs> one to third king of Judah um, in his day, in his generation. There are so many practical lessons, spiritual lessons, isn't there? that we can adopt to ourselves as we think about his life and his experience as we think of his day and his generation. Shall we pray? <clears throat> Our Father, we bow again in thy presence. We thank thee again for this time together, for thy word, and for all that we teach us concerning thyself and teach us concerning even those who lived so long ago. And we think of their time and we think of their day we think of all that was um, their um, experience and what confronted them as they lived and as they moved before thee. 
We pray, our God, that these things, that as we read about them, that we might seek to learn lessons from them and also apply them to our own hearts and our own lives, in our own day and in our own generation. So, our God, we pray now thy blessing upon us and upon thy word and grant that it might be used of thyself for the help and encouragement of thy people. Bless our time of fellowship. We thank thee for the opportunity uh, to be able to fellowship with one another and we pray thy blessing upon all that has been provided for us. We thank thee for it. Thou art a God who uh, cares for us in a material way as much as in a spiritual. And so for the food tonight provided for us, we return our thanks in our Saviour's precious and worthy name. Amen. I'd like to thank Joe for that message. Um, just take time to sing uh, number 233 in the book. 233. God is love, his word proclaims it. Day by day the truth we prove. Heaven and earth with joy of telling, ever telling God is love. Again, just standing to sing after the introduction, after which um, there's a cup of tea now. Uh, biscuit afterwards, you're all free to stay. We wish you to stay and have some time of fellowship with us. We do that, we can do that. So, after the introduction, stand to sing in number 233. Thank you.